few weeks ago, we started a new sermon series looking in the book of Psalms at Psalm 112. And I've mentioned to you that this is a psalm that I come back to frequently because it's a psalm that describes the kind of character that the Lord desires to see in someone who follows him. It's a kind of character the Lord fosters within us. It's, it's evidence of the fact that Jesus Christ is in our life, that he's Lord of our life. And there's a variety of things that this portion of Scripture brings up. And we've been working our way through these things. We talked about what it looks like to delight in hearing God's voice, delighting in his commandments. We also talked about what it looks like to set up the next generation for success. And today we're going to talk about something related to finance. We're actually going to attempt to answer the question, does God want Christians to be wealthy? And you're going to see why that's our subject today as we look at uh, the third verse in particular of Psalm 112, which talks about wealth and riches. And so wrestle with this thought with me. Does God want Christians to be wealthy? Or would you say maybe he doesn't want Christians to be wealthy? I just want you to be thinking about the, that uh, for a second. But in general, and don't answer this out loud, but if somebody, if somebody ever asked you, do you want to be wealthy? How would you respond to that? So I want to share this morning what I think a very balanced perspective on this subject happens to be. As it's outlined, we're going to start in Psalm 112, but I'm going to show you a variety of scriptures that speak to this subject, and it's going to give us a, a full picture of the counsel the Lord's given to us in His Word. So if you would take your Bibles, and let's start together in Psalm 112. What I've been doing each week as we've been looking through this, is just reading through the whole psalm, because the psalm isn't very long. Our emphasis today is really just going to be on verse 3 of the psalm, but I figure if I read the whole psalm each week, by the time we're finished with our study of it, many different aspects of it will hopefully be fresh in our minds, fresh in our hearts. So look with me at Psalm 112 as I read verse 1, and I'll read down to the, to the 10th verse, but it says this. It says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. And then this is our, our key verse today, verse 3. It says, wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid till he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor." The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to look at your word together today. And we're grateful that you've given us access to it. We're grateful that you've given us time to be able to just carve out time to be able to spend together and study it together. And Lord, as we've been working our way through the things that you reveal to us in Psalm 112, as we've been talking about the kind of character that you desire for your children as we seek to follow you, we pray, Lord, that, that we would adopt these traits as your Spirit gives us the strength to, 
to adopt them, but also to value them for what they are. Lord, we're grateful that you've given us time to be able to, to really contemplate what it looks like to listen to your voice and delight in your commandments. We're grateful as well that last week we had this, this opportunity to just be able to think about what it looks like to set up the next generation for success. And we pray, Lord, that today, as we look at what your scripture tells us about this concept of wealth, we pray, Lord, that you'd give us a perspective that is drastically different from what this world has adopted. We pray that we would see this whole subject from your perspective and in view of your economy. And we love you, Lord, and we thank you for the privilege to be able to do this now, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so one of the most, admittedly, one of the most confusing subjects for many Christians to mentally and, I would say, emotionally process is the concept of wealth something that we wrestle with. I think we all know that it's, that it's necessary for our economy, so wealth is necessary in many respects, but we've also seen the dangers that easily come from things like financial excess, um, but I, you could also say that we've also seen the dangers that can come from financial lack. So both extremes of that spectrum you can look at and you could say there's dangers and pitfalls in both. And I'd also say this, money and personal finance, I think, can be a somewhat tricky subject to discuss in the local church for a variety of reasons. Now, I don't think that it necessarily should be a tricky subject to discuss, but because of the ways that we've seen people use religious faith as a guise sometimes for swindling people, I think we as the church become understandably cautious because of how we've seen this subject mistreated. And we've seen this subject misused from some people that, that actually have uh, really, really visible platforms, and they misuse them. Now, there are some professing Christians that I've seen throughout the course of my life who act like it's a virtue to be in poverty and a vice to have healthy finances, and maybe you've seen that as well. Um, I will never forget a conversation that took place in our church parking lot more than a decade ago. It was probably about 12 or 13 years ago. And uh, basically, one of the families who was part of our church family at that time, they had purchased, it wasn't a brand new vehicle, but it was a newer vehicle for them, and apparently it caught the eye of an outspoken woman who had literally just started attending. I think it was maybe her, maybe her second Sunday here with us. And after the worship service that Sunday, this is so awkward, by the way, when this happens. Please never do what I'm about to describe to you to anyone else. But after that worship service the one Sunday, I, think, I really think it was her second time here, she came up to that family, and she aggressively confronted them. Now, she didn't know them from anybody, uh, and this is what she said. I think these are her exact words. She said, did God tell you to buy that car? Did God tell you to buy that car? That's what she started snipping at them. And in their mind, they're thinking, who are you? Like, who are they? Didn't they didn't know this woman from anyone? And she was kind of loud about it too. And the family that she confronted, which made this a little bit more awkward, they were on the reserved side of things. They're just kind of a quiet, they mind their own business, keep to themselves kind of family. And they admitted to me afterward, they're like, we honestly had no idea what to say to her. We had no idea what to say to her. And I could tell, to be honest with you, I could tell they were actually a little bit hurt by her insinuation that they had done something sinful by upgrading their vehicle. And even more ironic was the fact that just by virtue of being their pastor, I was aware of some of the ways that that family had also secretly blessed other families in the church that were dealing with financial strain. 
And I'm, it was like one of the most generous couples that I was familiar with, blessing other people, now being criticized because they dared to upgrade their car. And it wasn't even all that fancy, the car that they, that they upgraded it to. And, um, and so sometimes you see awkward situations like that. And you see people treat finances from a perspective that really doesn't line up with what Scripture tells us. And I could tell you, as someone who spends a lot of time reading through the Scriptures, and maybe you guys you know, feel the same way, I, I can confidently say there is nothing inherently wrong with being wealthy, and there is nothing inherently virtuous about being poor. There can be great benefits that come with either season of life, and there could also be great pitfalls that come with each seasons of life. I think there are unhealthy lifestyle and mindset issues that frequently in this world contribute to things like financial poverty in the lives of certain people. Or I've also noticed that the Lord sometimes will allow us to go through a season that's financially lean so that he could stretch our faith and remind us through that experience that he indeed is sufficient. And you've probably experienced things like that throughout the course of your life where, you know, if you could choose, you, you wouldn't have let things be that lean. But while they were that lean, what the Lord did was he showed up for you and reminded you in the midst of that experience that he's all you really needed, that he was sufficient for you in the midst of that. Like, likewise, I think there, there could be very unhealthy lifestyle and mindset issues that contribute to financial abundance in the lives of certain people. Or the other side of that is the Lord sometimes blesses certain people with lots of resources that He's giving them the opportunity to steward, basically as part of their calling, so that they can direct those things toward different areas in order to bless His people and build His kingdom. So you can see both aspects of that, or both, um, both realities sometimes, depending on seasons of life or the state of spiritual maturity that somebody might be at. And even as I think about this subject, and as, as we you know, just think about some of the things that are referenced here in Psalm 112 and some of the other scriptures that, that we're about to look at, during the course of my own life, I can think of different seasons that the Lord, by His grace and in His sovereignty, has allowed me to go through. I can think of seasons of my life where I experienced poverty. I can think of seasons of my life that were a step above that where it was not poverty, just financial strain. I could think of seasons of my life where I would say, okay, things were average, just kind of average. And then seasons of my life that I would say, all right, that was above average. So I know personally how each feels and can identify some of the contributing factors that, that contributed to each condition. I remember when I was a child, uh, there was one season of my life where we lived in a very nice home. And I remember thinking, it was a very nice house. I still remember when my parents bought it. And then I remember some years later when we found ourselves uh, living in, uh, you know, uh, in a government-funded housing project, receiving government assistance to help us with the different things that we need. And by the way, I, you know, when I think about my growing up experience, uh, you know, when I say that we lived in a government-funded housing project that probably conjures up a variety of images. I don't know if any of you have experienced that in your life, but I could honestly say some of my most fun childhood memories were from living in that housing project. I actually kind of liked it. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I always think to convey that, but it actually wasn't that bad. It was, I kind of liked it when I was a child. And when I think about my adult life, you know, as an adult, I've lived below the poverty line. I've experienced what that feels like. I've also experienced seasons where I felt like, you know, Lord, you've blessed me with much more than I need. 
So since you bless me with more than I need, what do you want me to do with it? So I'm saying that to say I don't disparage either experience. Because I actually think that the Lord teaches us important lessons in both. And uh, I don't think that necessarily God is punishing somebody if they go through a financially lean season. And I don't automatically think that somebody is being blessed because they have abundance. But there's balance somewhere in between. And there's a lesson that I think we can learn regardless of whatever state we're at, regardless of whether you feel like you have an abundance or whether you feel like things are pretty lean. And even before we get into what, we, what we're going to really be focusing on in Psalm 112, I just want to set this up by pointing something out to you that the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4. And he spoke to this very issue because he had experienced all sorts of sides of that spectrum where during certain seasons he thought, boy, I just have an abundance. And then other seasons, he thought, I don't, I don't necessarily know where my next meal's coming from. And he made this comment, and I think that this is a good baseline for us as believers in Christ to really wrap our hearts around because it's really useful, and it's a mindset that I think the Lord really wants us to embrace. And Paul said this in Philippians 4, starting with verse 11, he said, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content so notice that word, content, regardless of your situation. What does it look like to be content? And he says, look, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And by the way, that's one of the most quoted Bible verses, Philippians 4.13, and frequently I see people say, hey, you know, it's like right before their soccer game, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm like, I don't know, I guess it, it wasn't a real, really about soccer, like in its original context. I guess there's a, you know, I guess there's an application to many circumstances, but when you really look at the context, Paul was like, listen, it's all about contentment in Christ. It's all about the fact that, look, I know what it's like to be brought low, and I know what it's like to abound. I know what it's like to wonder where my next meal is coming from, and I know what it's like to have a, a storehouse of, of everything that I feel like I need in this world. And he said, here's what I've learned. As I'm content in Christ, I can face whatever this world throws at me with the strength that Christ supplies. I could do whatever he asks me to do. I could face whatever hardship or whatever abundance he places before me, whatever it looks like in any season. I know that his strength is sufficient to carry me through. That's good counsel for us, regardless of whatever season we might be at. So what are we doing with the strength that Christ supplies us? Because he does supply us strength. He does give us the strength that we need. Can we be content in him, regardless of our financial circumstances? Should we, should we envy the rich and ignore the poor? Or should we disparage the rich? and esteem the poor? Or can we accept the fact that the Lord has a purpose for every condition that we might find ourselves in financially? And there's a purpose for the fact that during some seasons of your life, it looks one way, and during other seasons of your life, it might look drastically different. Because God's desire for you and for me is that we learn to trust Him regardless of our, pre our present circumstances. That's what He wants for you and me. That's what He wants for your life that regardless of the circumstances that you learn to trust him, that you say, you know what, Lord, you are sufficient for me. And when it comes to finances, I actually think there are principles in Scripture that reveal a pathway that tends to lead to wealth. 
So before you call me like a false preacher or like, you know, uh, like a prosperity preacher, which I'm definitely not, I do think just from a practical standpoint that when you look at what Scripture actually teaches and you just follow the principles that Scripture teaches, I actually think that generally speaking, it does tend to lead people into at least a better financial state than if you ignore what Scripture says. And in many cases, you know, when I look at some of the people, just in my own life, some of the people that, that I've observed do wise things with their finances, many of them, the underpinning was the fact that they said, yeah, I basically just decided to stop doing things my way. And I started looking at the principles Scripture espoused, and I decided I'm just going to go about things that way. And the result over a long lifetime of faithful obedience to the principles of Scripture ended up being that the Lord gave me much more than I think I would have had if I was relying on my own wisdom and strength. And then I was able to use those things to bless other people and support ministries and different things. And so I think in general, there are principles in Scripture that reveal a pathway that tends to lead to wealth. And some of the things I'm going to point out to us this morning are part of that pathway that Scripture talks about. Um, Now, I also think that there are things that, that come along our way that can interfere with our trajectory while we're on that path. And I think that there are plenty of things that at times that that happen that are well beyond our control that can impede our progress as we're trying to get ahead financially. But generally speaking, I do believe that when a person trusts the Lord to, when when a person trusts the Lord to, when we trust him enough to obey what he teaches in his word, it never surprises me when one of the byproducts of that is healthier personal finances. It does not surprise me when when I see that in somebody's life. Let me explain what I mean by that, though. So in Psalm 112, verse 3, we've already looked at the fact that that psalm tells us of, of a person who fears the Lord and delights in His commandments. So that's a good baseline, someone who fears the Lord, someone who reveres and respects the Lord enough to just listen to what He says. Instead of adopting this world's counsel and adopting this world's perspective and voice, This person reveres and respects the Lord and delights to hear His commandments. And we're told here in verse 3, it says this specifically, it says, wealth and riches are in His house, and His righteousness endures forever. That's a pretty clear statement, isn't it? Wealth and riches are in His house, and His righteousness endures forever. And it's interesting because it doesn't really qualify that statement, it just says it. Wealth and riches are in His house, and His righteousness endures forever. And I think it's illustrating a concept that's elaborated on elsewhere in Scripture. I'll show you a few of the places. One of them is in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4, that elaborates a little bit further on this concept. And uh, it talks about this idea of poverty, and it talks about this idea, it actually uses the word rich in this statement as well. But in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4, speaking of this same issue, it says, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So diligence and a willingness to work hard and a willingness to work with integrity, I actually think that those traits demonstrate something about a person's character, wouldn't you say? Just in general, but you know, not even talking about the financial pieces or any of the, the related things that might come from that. I think when somebody in general tends to be very diligent and they tend to work with integrity, one of the things that stands out to me is that... that it conveys to me that they must have good character, at least in some respects in regard to those areas. Because we've all experienced coworkers, or, or if you're a business owner, we've all experienced employees that did the bare minimum or less, right? I mean, you've worked with people that did the bare minimum or less in their tasks, 
And you wonder, like, why do you even show up? Because really, you just waste time. And have you ever seen, I, I kid you not. So, all right, in this day of remote work, uh, where people are working from home, and if any of you are doing this, please don't tell me, okay? Please don't tell me if anyone's doing this. But one of the ways employers are trying to monitor people that are doing different jobs that are computer-based is they want to see, is their mouse moving? Do you know that there are devices that you can buy now that you can place your mouse on that will mimic human motion for you all day? So you just, just leave it on the device and it'll mimic motion. That that's something that exists, that somebody said, you know, there's a need in this marketplace. And it's for something to automatically move a mouse so that it tricks an employer who is trying to watch you do remote work and see that you're actually doing what you're called to do. We have all experienced coworkers, we've all experienced uh, employees that do the bare minimum or less. But we've also experienced people who over the course of their working career, their working life, even in how they volunteer, who consistently go above and beyond. People who are eager to excel in whatever they, they, they set their mind to or, or set their hand and their effort to. And over time, what ends up happening to the slacker? Generally speaking, over time, what tends to happen to the slacker? His reputation usually remotes in his demotion and his lack of opportunities because eventually it catches up to that person, right? They eventually, their character is shown to be what it is. In the end, there are no secrets. You know, for moments in life, there are secrets, but in the end, everything comes out. So that person's reputation catches up to them. But in general, what tends to happen to those who over-deliver? Well, usually what ends up happening is they develop a good re reputation that goes before them and doors start opening up to them and then you have other people look at them and say, oh, you're so lucky. You are just so lucky. I am just, I am amazed at how lucky you are that these doors keep opening up for you. And then you discover that these, quote, lucky people spend a whole lot of time working with integrity and diligence. And you're like, that's fascinating that the doors keep opening up for those that keep working hard, faithfully, day in and day out, without someone having to tell them every five seconds to do what they already agreed to do. And when you look at what the psalmist tells us here in, in Psalm 112, when you look at the fact that he tells us that wealth and riches are in the house of the righteous man, what do you, keep in mind the verses that came before that. The psalmist here is talking about that person's character, saying a byproduct of living in the fear of the Lord, a byproduct of thinking of other people above yourself, a byproduct of putting the Lord first, fearing Him, revering Him, respecting Him, a byproduct of that is oftentimes the, the things in life that we would look at and we'd say, boy, that, that, you know, what, what an abundance, what a gift, what, what a wealth, what a, you know, just a series of riches. People who work with integrity, people who do their work as unto the Lord, they tend to experience the natural consequences of greater financial benefits. In most cases, if we're generalizing. They tend to experience things like referrals from those that, that they've earned the trust of. You know, if you earn the trust of somebody else, what are they going to do? They're going to speak well on your behalf without you even asking them to do so. And then in addition to those natural consequences, there's also the supernatural consequence of the fact that the Lord, in connection with their faithfulness, with smaller responsibilities that become larger, that become larger, the Lord blesses them in a variety of ways as they demonstrate that they can be faithful with small things and medium things and big things, and then they become stewards of things that the Lord entrusts over to them. Recently read a really interesting story about a young guy who worked in a movie theater. 
My, uh, one of my sisters for a group of years worked in a movie theater, and I was really jealous of her job when she was in high school because it seemed like the most fun job on earth, working at that movie theater. They got to see all the free movies that they wanted. She always smelled like popcorn, always was bringing popcorn home. We had more popcorn than we knew what to do with. And, uh, and she was always bringing home movie posters. So when you're a teenager, posters are pretty important to you. That's how you decorate your life. And she was always bringing home every movie poster. As soon as the movie posters were done being used, they would just roll them up and give them out to the employees. And she would, she would bring them home. And I was like, you just have the coolest job. And she worked with all her friends. She got all her friends' jobs there. They all worked together. I thought that was, it, it looked really fun. Well, I recently read the story of a young guy named David who worked at a movie theater when he was a teenager. He's not a teenager now. I think he's in his early 30s. Uh, but he, was, he just wrote about it, and uh, I, I was reading about his experience working there. And when he was hired, he understood a couple things. One of the things he understood was the fact that his bosses probably did not expect much of him based on the age that he was at, because he was 16 years old when they hired him, and he thought, all right, the track record of some of my peers probably doesn't serve me super well in my boss's eyes, because they're assuming that, that maybe I'm not going to take this very seriously. And, and, uh, and so he decided that he was going to set out to demonstrate something different. He wanted to demonstrate his character through the way he served in that business. Now, his parents had taught him a variety of things, and, and based on the good example he was already seeing from his parents and from the very specific things they taught him about how to go about his work, he set his mind to doing five specific things. This is what he decided he was going to do. He said, all right, when, when I'm on the clock or when it's my turn to work, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure to show up early. So I'm going to do my best to always show up early. So he did that. And then he said, all right, when I'm doing my work, I'm also going to do my work cheerfully. Sounds like a biblical concept, doesn't it? You know? And then he said, all right, the, the third thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go the extra mile to solve unexpected problems because something always comes up. Now, by the way, if you work for someone and you turn into the person who's always trying to solve unexpected problems, you tend to become the go-to person. And uh, those of you that have businesses where you're hiring other people, if you find somebody that you've hired starts doing that, don't you already in your mind think, what do I do to keep this person working here forever, right? But he, the third thing he said, I'm going I'm to go the extra mile to solve unexpected problems. The fourth thing he decided to do with his parents' influence and encouragement was he said, I'm going to take on the tasks that no one else is willing to do. So something comes up, a mess over here or a problem over here, something breaks over here uh, or, or some unexpected thing. I'm going to take on the tasks that nobody else is willing to do. And then the fifth and final thing he decided to do was he said, look, I'm, gonna be, I'm just going to be courteous toward customers, including the customers that are not courteous toward me. I'm going to be courteous toward them. So that's what he set his mind to do. And here's what ended up happening. He started working there at age 16. You know what happened by the time he was 18? He was running the movie theater. He ran the movie theater. They, they, the people that owned it decided, this is the guy we want running it. So the people that months earlier he was working with, he was now in charge of. And I thought it was such a fascinating and really, really cool story. If anyone wants the link to that, I have a link for it. I could share it with you some other time. You could read up on, on some of the things that he did. But it, I thought it was really cool. And I think that that's the mindset that's being demonstrated when you look at Psalm 112 and when you look at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. As a matter of Christ-centered character, as a matter of conscience, 
We are called to be faithful and diligent with whatever work is entrusted to us. Not half-hearted, not lazy, not the type of person that your employer has to check up on you all the time, mindful of the fact that the Lord's eyes are always on us. That's how we should conduct ourselves with whatever responsibilities we're given. There is a direct correlation to a righteous man's diligence and wealth. But even as we contemplate that correlation, even as we think about some of the things that Scripture says referencing that, I think we also need a cautionary note in our mind. So don't forget the cautionary words that were also given in God's Word. And there's a really powerful cautionary statement or series of statements that were shown in the book of James. And I want to make sure that I highlight these because I think it's important for us to keep these things in the back of our mind, or not really even in the back, right in the front of our thinking, when we're talking about this idea of wealth and riches like are spoken of in Psalm 112. And in James chapter 5, starting with verse 1, James said this when he was seeking to advise these early Christians. He said, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. And this statement, I think, is very convicting. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So what are you trying to get at, James? You know, like, tell me what you really think, right? Why are you mincing words, man? When you look at what James says here, he, he has a, a word of caution to the rich in this world. And specifically, and notice the context of this, specifically, his word of caution here, he's directing toward those whose consciences were not troubled by defrauding the, pe- the very people that worked for them, the very people that helped them obtain the wealth that they were enjoying. And James here is warning us that those who idolize wealth and those who defraud those who have faithfully served them, that the Lord notices that and that the Lord is going to, to call that person to account, that they're going to have to answer to the Lord for their greed. So those who indulge themselves at the expense of those who deserved fair compensation will one day loathe the earthly riches that they've idolized when they're called before the Lord and, and asked to give an account for their lives. They're going to loathe the very riches that they idolized. And I think that that's a useful cautionary statement. It's not saying that it's, that it's wrong to be blessed financially, but it's also saying be very careful how you use it and make certain that you're not defrauding anybody, especially those that, that maybe you have hired or those that you have agreed to compensate, but now you're doing something that damages their ability to earn a living after they have helped you. Now, let's come back to just our own personal um, financial state or, or, you know, where we are on this spectrum. And I just want you to ask yourself the question, where are you on this spectrum of wealth? You know, as we're talking about this concept of wealth and riches, as Psalm 112 brings it up, where, where do you feel like you are in your context? Where do you feel like you are on that spectrum? 
Do you feel like right now has been a season of struggle? I would suspect that for plenty of us, this has been a challenging season. Uh, culturally, this has been a challenging season for many people. Throughout the course of this world, it's been a very challenging season for many people. So do you feel like, all right, this is a season that's felt a little bit lean. This is a season I'm being very careful. This is a season I'm watching every penny. Or how about on the spectrum, do you feel like this might be the case? Have you been defrauded by dishonest employers or dishonest customers if you are an employer? Have you ever been defrauded or presently are you being defrauded by somebody? I would suspect that there are plenty of us that have stories related to that. Or do you feel like this is one of your healthy financial seasons or one of the healthiest financial seasons that you've ever gone through? I would suspect some of us are in the midst of that season of life as well. And I don't disparage any one of those seasons because, again, in life we tend to go back and forth a little bit. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. But regardless of where you are on the spectrum of earthly riches, I think one of the things that we need to be mindful of is that this isn't the end game. The earthly riches that you and I are blessed with, it's not the end game. It's not the goal of your life. The, most of the people that you know on the face of this earth, that is precisely what they're living for. And you probably even know people that, given the right circumstances, would kill to obtain wealth. You know, when you look through prisons, why, you know, why are so many people there? I would say probably the majority of people that are serving hard time are there because they, they took another life in pursuit of earthly riches. So there are people that will end the life of another, another person in, in search of earthly riches. Earthly riches are not the end game. So for us as believers, we need to realize that, yeah, it's nice if the Lord chooses for a season to bless you with some, be a good steward of it. And it's also nice when you go through a season that's lean because it develops your trust in Him. But recognize it's not the end game. So wherever you are on the spectrum of earthly riches, keep in mind the whole concept of eternal riches that can never be taken away from us, that Scripture is very clear, is the ultimate end for those who love Jesus Christ. And you have the Apostle Paul during the first century looking at the churches that he was directly involved in and teaching and influencing and in many respects planting and, and trying to help out. And he would pray a variety of things for the believers during that generation. And these are things that are worth praying for ourselves as well and praying for our church family and praying for the universal church likewise. And um, there's a good example of this in the book of Ephesians. And so you have, the, you have Paul praying for the believers in Ephesus, and he prays something very specific in Ephesians chapter 1 when you look at verses 17 and 18. And I want us to notice this with the perspective of eternal riches in mind. He, he prays this. He's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So you notice that line? You know, he's saying, I, I want your eyes to be open to something that most people don't see. I want you to understand this idea of the glorious inheritance that you have in Christ Jesus. I want you to see it because most people don't see it. Most people on this earth... Um, most people on this earth can't see the kind of riches that the Holy Spirit enables believers to be able to see. 
Most people can only see earthly riches. They spend their lives focused on earthly riches. That's the only thing they see. And in fact, they give their lives to pursue these things. They sacrifice their time, sacrifice their health, sacrifice their reputation, sacrifice their families. They'll sacrifice everything to get it because, in fact, it is their God. It's what they worship. But Paul prayed that believers would know the Lord deeply. And he prayed that believers would see things that, that only the Lord can enable us to truly see. And that believers would live with an unshakable hope in Jesus Christ. And that we would be confident that through Christ, we will be blessed with greater riches than anything this world can offer. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about? Even if you have abundance right now, isn't it wonderful to think about that there are greater riches than you've ever seen? That there are things that the Lord has in store for those who trust Him that are far beyond what our minds can naturally comprehend. Those who trust in Jesus Christ are blessed with an inheritance in His kingdom that far surpasses the most visible riches of this world. And that's something the Apostle Paul wanted the early church to focus on, and that's something that you and I should focus on as well. And if your faith in Jesus Christ is genuine, I think that this is something that the Holy Spirit will enable you to find comfort and confidence in. The fact that Christ has better things in store for you than what this world can offer. I think the Holy Spirit will, will also change your perspective and my perspective toward earthly wealth. I've already watched Him do that over the course of my life, and I'm certain many of us can testify to the fact that He's absolutely been doing that. We'll start seeing it for what it really is. What is it? It's a tool to be stewarded, not a God to be worshipped. That's all it is. A tool to be stewarded, not a God to be worshipped. And I think understanding the nature of our heavenly inheritance in Christ it does something really cool in our hearts. Knowing that, that we've been blessed with an eternal heavenly inheritance in Jesus Christ, I think that liberates our hearts to be generous. Now, why am I saying that? Why do I think that that liberates our hearts to practice generosity? Well, I think when you view what's been entrusted to you on earth from the perspective of the eternal riches that you've been blessed with through Jesus you won't hold on to this world's riches with such a tight grip. You'll be more willing to share them or bless somebody else with them. I think ministries will end up being funded. People will be served. Mission work will be financed. And Christ's kingdom will expand in part as he uses your generosity as one of his kingdom-expanding tools. And I think that's the perspective we as believers should adopt, that finances, if the Lord blesses you with them, it's a resource to be stewarded, not a God to be worshipped. And even as we've already seen, we've looked at a variety of scriptures, I actually want to show you one more, but there are many passages in scripture that offer us great financial counsel. In fact, and maybe this would surprise you, do you know that, that uh, finances, money in particular, is one of the most common subjects that comes up in scripture? showing that the Lord is not ignorant to the subject and ignorant to the fact that, that this is how human economies tend to work. comes up quite frequently. And there's a very interesting portion of Scripture that speaks of it in the book of Hebrews. We've been going through the book of Hebrews on Wednesday nights, and, and we're still early in the book. We're going to be starting chapter 4 this coming Wednesday. So this is like a sneak peek. All right, Wendell and Kathy, you hear there's a sneak peek when we get into chapter 13. But look at what it says in chapter 13, verse 5 of the book of Hebrews. It says, Keep your life free from love of money. Let me just pause there for a second. Just think about that statement. Keep your life free from love of money. You could use money. You could even be savvy with money. I actually have a lot of respect for, for believers that are good business people 
and entrepreneurs and all of that. I, I, I really find that stuff useful because they end up creating jobs for people and they end up blessing ministries. And, you know, I, I really think there's a lot of use for that. Use for that, not love for that. There's a big difference, right? Keep your life free from the love of money. Don't love it. Use it up, give it up, you know, bless other people, honor the Lord with it, but don't love it. Don't pledge your allegiance to it. Keep your life free from love of money. By the way, if your life, I, I didn't even get to the rest of the verse. Maybe I never will. Maybe I'll just keep hanging on that first statement there. But people that spend their life loving money, you love money, that's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you things that are better than money. They always say a rich person, this is how you tell if somebody's rich. You ever hear this like colloquialism or phrase? If they have the things that money can't buy. If you have the things money can't buy, then you're truly rich. If the only thing you have is the stuff money can buy you, you're not very rich, right? Keep your life free from the love of money. Why? Well, so you love your wife, so that you love your husband more than you love money. So you love your children more than you love money, and ultimately, so you love the Lord more than you love money. If you keep your life free from the love of, of money, you're not going to waste your life in its pursuit thinking, you, put it this way, you'll never have enough. If you love it, you will never feel like you have enough. It says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. The second time we've seen this concept of contentment come up. Paul brought it up in Philippians 4, and now we see it again here in Hebrews 13, 5. Be content with what you have. For he has said, for the Lord has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Guess what? Money leaves me real quick. It finds ways to just disappear, right? You know, I'll think everything's good, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, John, I'm your furnace, and uh, I'm going to break now. So say goodbye to $6,400, right? Or, you know what? I got to pay this month. It made me so happy to pay it. I got to pay my property taxes related to my school bill. I was like, oh, yay, it's great. I just love paying that. We pay that in one lump sum, which means I've been eating peanut butter all month. So I, no, it's not. But I, I, I look at that, I'm like, yeah, money, it goes away quickly, doesn't it? It goes away. But you know who doesn't go away? The Lord. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, I won't leave you. Your money's going to leave you. Your money doesn't love you. So don't love it. But the Lord loves you, and he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. When you have Jesus, please keep this statement in mind. I say this to myself a lot. I find it very encouraging. When you have Jesus, you already have everything you truly need. If you have Jesus Christ, you have everything you truly need in this world. Think about that statement and how that applies. When we can be content in him, we don't need to worship money. I think by his grace, we can keep our lives free from the love of money. I think people love money because they believe it's going to grant them the things that actually can only be found in Jesus. People love money because they think it's going to give them peace, and they think it's going to give them help, and they think it's going to give them comfort, and they think it's going to give them strength. And probably from a worldly perspective, it looks like it does do that, right? But then you discover it finds a great way to leave you. And I think if we're convinced that we could find those things ultimately through money, then this is what we'll do. We will love money, and we will worship money, and we will never be satisfied with our desire for more of it, because effectively it'll turn into our God. But when we do understand that ultimate peace 
and ultimate help and ultimate comfort and ultimate strength are only found through Jesus Christ, we will learn to love Him. We will learn to worship Him. We'll learn to find our greatest sense of satisfaction through Him. So let me say this as we finish up this morning. As you walk with the Lord, and as you diligently apply the counsel of His Word to the ways in which you work and the ways in which you steward the blessings that He entrusts to you, it will not shock me if at some season of, of your life you may even experience an abundance of earthly wealth. It will not shock me. If you go through your life just going about things just day-to-day, faithful, diligent, handling money and finance and generosity like the Lord instructs us to in His Word, in his word some, somewhere along the course of your life, it will not shock me if the Lord blesses you with above-average wealth or income or investments. If something like that works out for you, I will not be shocked. I, I, I actually think it happens a lot. I see it a lot. And uh, regarding wealth, I, I, don't, I also don't think, I don't operate from this mindset that it's super hard to get. One of the things I've learned over the course of my life is it's not as hard to get as I once thought. It's not as hard to get as I once thought, and maybe, maybe some of you can kind of testify to that as well. But if it comes your way, don't worship it. I think it's very likely in many of, of uh, you know, when I just observe the way that many of our, our brothers and sisters in Christ live, how they go about conducting their personal finances and conducting their businesses and practicing generosity, it will not shock me if you at some point in the course of your life have an abundance of it. So if it comes your way, don't worship it. And regardless of whatever state you may find yourself in, keep in mind the Lord's got a purpose for it. There may be a reason He's not letting that come your way so that you have the opportunity to identify with other people that are experiencing a struggle. So maybe there's a season where the Lord wants to develop a sensitivity within you. Or maybe He knows that you're at a spot of spiritual maturity that if that money came your way, you'd still you'd worship it. So He's going to do you the favor and not place an idol in your life that you would give your allegiance over to. He may be doing you a big favor. There are seasons in my life that I could look at, and I'm, I'm really grateful that as I look back at it, that the Lord did not bless me financially during those seasons. And I could list several reasons why I'm grateful for that. But here's the big lesson. Be content with whatever the Lord entrusts to you. Whatever it is, whatever He entrusts to you, whether it's a little or a lot, be content, and then look for good ways to put to use whatever He puts in your hand. Whatever He puts in your hand, look for good ways to put it to use. Always remember to honor the Lord with your blessings because He's the source of every good thing and He's the only one who's worthy of our worship. And again, if you have Christ, if, you know, if, you, if your time on this earth finishes and you leave this earth with Christ, you're leaving this earth with exactly what you needed most. If you have Christ, you actually already have everything you need. So be content in him regardless of the circumstance. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for what we're able to see when we look at a portion of Scripture like this. And we know, Lord, that there are so many people that look at earthly wealth like it's the ultimate goal of life, like it's the, the main thing that we should be striving for, like it's, like it's 
what our time and our effort and our mindset should be devoted to. But when we look at what your scripture actually teaches, it's, you're, you're teaching us here that it's more of a byproduct. It's something that you entrust to, to those that won't worship it so that they can use it to bless others and glorify you. And it's something that I think you're very careful about when or if you allow us to get our hands on something like that because you care about our spiritual growth. And you know, in my case, there are seasons in my life, if you entrusted wealth to me, it would have actually stunted my spiritual growth. And so in your sovereignty, you chose not to. And I thank you for that. In the moment, what it did was stretch my faith. And now here I find myself with the, the benefit of that faith being stretched, where I can look at it and say, Lord, you taught me to trust in you. And I would rather go through life learning to trust in you than going through life trusting in something that can be taken away from me. And Lord, I suspect that you're teaching that lesson to many of us, that you're, you're very careful in your timeline in relation to our lives because you ultimately want us to grow in our walk with you. And so, Lord, I, I think, I mean, I think it's very clear when we look at what Scripture says that if we, if we just simply handle the things that you entrust to us a particular way, that there tend to be naturally good consequences that come from being good stewards of what you, you bless us with. But, Lord, you remind us in your word never to worship the blessing. You remind us to worship you, the one who blesses. So, Lord, thank you for blessing us with whatever state we're presently in, because this is the state you've given us right now for which we can learn to be content. So, Lord, if, if we have an abundance, we pray that we would be content in you knowing that you're what we really need. And if this is a lean season, we pray that we would be content in you knowing that you are indeed the one we really need. And, Lord, thank you so much for the fact that you promise us to never, never leave us and never forsake us, and for all those who know you through your Son, Jesus Christ, that you've promised us an inheritance in your kingdom that cannot be corrupted, can't be taken away. It's not something that spoils or fades. It's not something a, a robber can come in and steal. It's nothing like that. It's the riches of your grace, the riches of being part of your kingdom forever, having an actual inheritance in your kingdom for all eternity that cannot be taken from us, and you promise us that it won't be. So, Lord, I'm grateful for that, and I'm grateful for the full counsel of your word, that we could just look at what your word says related to these things, and we could just sit back and say, Lord, you are wonderful to us, and we're just so grateful that you're present with us. So, Lord, thank you so much for these reminders from your word today, and as we live out our days working in contexts where we probably work with people that are just chasing money, and, and we probably have family members and friends that are just chasing money, and we can think through seasons of our own life where we were just chasing money, we pray, Lord, that that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our minds and help us to understand the very things that the Apostle Paul prayed about in Ephesians chapter 1, that we would see the whole thing with your eyes and that we would understand that there are riches far beyond what our, our, what our eyes have presently seen. So we love you, Lord. We thank you for all these things, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.